Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I don't know, I was about ready to just let Andre preach, you know. I'm going to sit there and just, you go, man, you, you, you got it. That's what I love about um, I love our team. I love our church. I love the the people that God's brought us and and the the friendship that we have and uh, man the energy. This place uh, we you got people here who are passionate about what we believe. You know we're not just doing this out of out of because we have to out of tradition. We don't care about that stuff. We're we're living in the present. We're excited about the future. What God's doing, and I hope that you are walking in the grace of Jesus. I hope you're walking in the power of God. I hope that you are, are someone who in your life, you feel like you're getting stronger each day. That's what we hope, that you're getting stronger each day because you're walking in the hope and love of Jesus. So after last, the service uh, last weekend, um, you know, I went into the green room. It's a kind of backstage area, and then we have a little bathroom there. And, and I didn't need to get too personal, but, you know, they have a mirror, and I just wanted to walk into the bathroom, make sure, check everything was, you know, all right, you know. And I noticed on the wall in the green room bathroom, um, it, they, they, uh, they, someone had put a little magnet on there that said, this old saying that people, you've probably seen this before, don't make me come down there, God. And, and someone had taken a piece of toilet paper and, and slipped it underneath and written on there, we already did, everybody. Now, if you wanted a crystal clear explanation for the purpose and meaning of Christmas, that pretty much says it all. That we are always wondering, you know, hey, what would, what would it take for God to come down here? You don't have to worry about that because he already did. 2,000 years ago, he already did come down here because, in effect, we made him come down here. In other words, the reason that we made him come down here is because it was the only possible way for him to rescue us. It was the only way that we could have been rescued. It was the only hope that we have. There is nothing that could have come from us that could have saved us or delivered us or redeemed us in any possible way. And so our whole series has been about that. And I hope that you come to our Christmas Eve services um, on Christmas Eve, Eve, and Christmas Eve, because we're going to kind of wrap this whole idea up, and I hope you bring your friends and your family, you know, your aunt from Iowa or whatever, whoever's coming in for Christmas, bring them all, and bring everyone you can. It's going to be, as we do it every year, a shorter service, but a very powerful and impactful service. People love coming, but we're really going to wrap up this idea because the gift, and what we've been trying to do each week is convince us without a shadow of a doubt that when we say that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that we ever have, or ever could have, that we really mean that. And I don't like platitudes very much. I don't like to, to just say flowery things without really saying, okay, wait a second, is it really true? And so what I want you to do is I want you to be fully convinced in your mind that you'd rather be, you know, homeless on the street corner over on, you know, Van Buren and Litchfield or whatever, that you'd rather be homeless on any corner in this desert or anywhere and yet have Jesus then you'd rather have that than to have everything you could possibly have in the world to live in a mansion or a palace and have everything you could ever want and not have him. So if someone were to ask you, would you rather be homeless, naked on the street with nothing to your name, but have Jesus or have everything in the world that you could possibly want, there wouldn't even be a hesitation. You would just, it's not even a, it's not even a, I don't have to deliberate on this at all. Of course I would have nothing to my name and yet have Jesus. 
that I would want you to feel that way and believe that deep in your heart. And so Jesus is teaching a group of his followers, and over the course of this teaching, he makes this statement, and it's a familiar statement. Many of you have heard it before. It's found in the book of John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They may have life and have it abundantly. So one of the reasons that we have this gift, one of the reasons that God sent Jesus to the earth, among other things, we talked about to be our mediator, to be our example, to be all these things. But one of the other reasons that he showed up on this planet was so that we could have life, but not just, you know, a typical life, but have life abundantly. Now I always ask the question when I see a verse like this, what does it mean abundantly? Because we don't really use that word very often, you know, I mean, like, you don't say, uh, you know, you don't go to, to um, you know, McDonald's or whatever and say, I'd like an abundant amount of fries, please. You know what I mean? You just, nobody uses that word abundantly very much. It's kind of like a spiritual or more and more of a Christianese kind of a word. So what does it actually mean? Well, I looked it up, and what I found out is that the word abundantly in the original language means that which goes way beyond necessity, far beyond what is required, or as I would put it, wildly exceeds expectations. That Jesus came to bring us a life that wildly exceeds expectations. One guy that I was reading about this uh, passage wrote this. He said, John wanted all his readers to know that the gift of Jesus is life beyond our wildest dreams. Now, do you really believe that, though? Or when Jesus was saying life and life abundantly, and the idea that life could go beyond your wildest dreams, I mean, was he just exaggerating maybe just a little bit? Was he getting kind of amped up? Like, you know, was it an empty promise, kind of like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite? Remember when he's speaking in front of the student body, and he says, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams will come true. It's like, it's stupid, man. You're running for student body president. You can't promise that, you know? But it's like, is that really what's going on here? Is Jesus making this empty promise? Did he really mean that? Did he really, is that the idea that life could wildly exceed expectations? Because if we're honest, for a lot of us, life has very much underperformed. And has gone well below our expectations. You know, you thought that you would be here and you're here. You thought that you'd be this far along in life and you're only this far along and you look around and you say, what happened? Because every little kid, you know, when they start out, right? Little Johnny, he wants to be an astronaut when he grows up. And in his mind, it's gonna happen. I always think of those demotivators posters. You ever seen those? You know, like have the inspirational posters and they have like the sarcastic ones that are the opposite. And there's the one with the picture of the bag of fries. And then it says mediocrity. And then underneath it says, not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny to me. I mean, I know it's bad, but it's funny. To me, it's funny. Because, you know, yeah, that's the way it happens a lot of times. It's like, well, I really wanted to do this, but guess what, Johnny? You're not going to be an astronaut. And guess what? You're not going to be the captain of the football team. You're not going to go in the NFL and all these kinds of things. And so we go, you know what? Or maybe it's even worse than that. Like, I didn't expect to have these medical issues. I didn't expect to have these financial issues. I didn't expect to have these marital issues. Life is really underperformed. So how do we make sense of this? 
And so what I'd like to do today is talk to you about the nature of the life that Jesus is talking about. What does he mean when he says abundantly? And I want you to be convinced when you walk out of here that no matter what situation you are dealing with in your life right now, that you can seize this life that really is something that can go um, beyond your wildest dreams or wildly exceeds your expectations. I really want you to embrace that and believe that with your full heart because when Jesus says something, we take him at his word, but we have to try to understand what he means by it. And so I want to give you two things today that describe the nature of this life that goes way beyond necessity. So the first thing we can say is this. What is it about this Jesus that makes life go way beyond necessity? When we look at this life, one of the first characteristics of this life we can look at is, number one, everything begins and ends with grace. Now, I want you to let that sink into your soul. Everything begins and ends with grace so that when you walk with Jesus, when you embrace Jesus, your whole life becomes defined by and immersed in never-ending, eternal, complete, and, and comprehensive grace. So in Romans chapter five, when Paul is contrasting law and grace, and he's talking about how people have understood God through the merits of obeying rules and regulations, but now that Jesus has come, their grace is now available. And what he's saying is, on the one hand, sin and law bring death. It's because you're always breaking the law. You're always doing something wrong. And, and, and in, in all that is, is death and condemnation. And he contrasts that because up until that time, that's what's what ruled people's lives. But now grace is what rules people's lives. So he says, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I love that phrase. Grace also might reign. So grace reigns like a king whose word goes and is followed and obeyed. Grace becomes the one that makes the rules. Grace is the defining characteristic of a person's life who walks with Jesus. So you are no longer held accountable for your sins before the eyes of God because they've been paid for. And all of the corresponding issues that that come from that guilt and shame and regret and, and feeling of hopelessness and like, am I, am I ever gonna get it right? And does God really love me? And can I ever live down these things I did in the past? That's all gone. And your life becomes marked and defined by grace. And so we sang a few minutes ago in this King's Kaleidoscope song, you know, you get to this point in your life where as, he, as the lyrics said, I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but Spirit, you made me see. It wasn't like I woke up and said, oh, I get this now, God. It's like, no, the Spirit of God opened my eyes. I swore I knew the way on my own, a head full of rocks and a heart made of stone, but Spirit, you moved in me. And I love that, because that's that picture of that beautiful repentance where you go, man, I was, I was walking in darkness. I was confused, I was lost, I was completely on the wrong path, and God grabbed a hold of me. And when, you know what, here's the thing, guys, when you finally get to that place in your life where you truly believe that, where it's no longer about, you know, I'm a victim, or on the other side, you know, I'm so great, God's so blessed to have found me, it's like, no, I was, I was basically trash, and God found me and raised me up. And when you really embrace that and believe that with your whole heart, there's this amazing response that comes and this is the key. This is the first key. It's the life that Jesus is talking about. And I'm telling you, it is the most true thing in the world because that response that comes is the word that can only be described as 
gratitude. Gratitude. Where you are actually like, you wake up and you go, man, I don't deserve this. So when Andre a couple minutes ago was up here and he was just saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. What, and I know Andre, he wasn't just saying, I gotta say something, so I'm gonna say hallelujah. Andre was walking up and his heart was full of gratitude because he recognized what has been done for him. And his response is, praise God. And it's not a false gratitude that comes, you know, when you're, you know, with your family on Christmas and grandma gets you another sweater that doesn't fit. And you're like, thanks, grandma. This is great. You're like looking for the tag. Does it come with one of those gift receipt things? You know what I mean? Like, okay, where'd, they, where'd she buy this so I can trade it? And you know, you just try to muster up. And as I know I should be grateful, so I'm going to act like I'm grateful. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that. See, I would define gratitude this way. Gratitude is an involuntary response to the realization that you've been given something that you did not earn or deserve. It is an involuntary response. It's like you can't help yourself but go, whoa, I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve this forgiveness. I don't deserve this kindness from God. This is amazing. And when you get to that place, everything changes in your life. Everything changes. The victim card drops. The anger begins to melt away and you begin to do things like actually love mercy and you love compassion, and you're no longer looking at people through the same eyes you thought God was looking at you through, but you look at them through the eyes that God sees you through, and that is grace. I'm telling you, I'm gonna get amped up today. I'm, I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up. So there's a great story of Louis Zamperini, it was portrayed in the movie Unbroken a few years ago, originally or earlier than that, written um, by Laura Hillenbrand in her book called Unbroken about the story of Louis Zamperini. Olympic runner, went into World War II, plane got shot down with a couple of their guys, and they, um, they were at sea for 47 days in the Pacific. And there was three of them, and then one of them died because he just couldn't handle it. And it's crazy. They're like hitting sharks. They're punching sharks, and they were like grabbing seagulls and eating them raw. I mean, they, they, they were on a little raft out in the Pacific for 47 days. Finally, just when they think they're going to get rescued, they get rescued. But unfortunately, they got rescued by the Japanese, which is kind of a bad group to get rescued by because now they become POWs. And when Zamperini goes into the POW camp, for some reason, there was one, the guy who was the prison guard, like the leader of all the other prison guards, uh, in the POW camp who singled him out because he just, for some reason, he hated his guts and he would beat him repeatedly. He tortured him far more than the other guys and he would just put him through all kinds of brutality. And so this would go on and on and on and he would talk about these beatings that would happen and this, this horrible way that this guy, it was sadistic. And they ended up nicknaming this guy the bird. That was the name of this, uh, this guard that was the leader. They called him the bird. And the bird would, was in this sadistic way would single out Zamperini. And finally after you know, um, a period of time, the, the, uh, the Americans came in and they rescued them and the war was over. 
And he, so he's and he goes back to the United States, but his life continues, and, and obviously the movie ends, but it, his life continues, and what happens at that point is, um, they don't tell you the rest of the story in the movie, that he comes back, he begins to drink, he begins to be a very angry guy, he has nightmares about what happened, and his, his marriage is on the rocks, he's very, his wife's very concerned, so finally she says, hey listen, um, I've been going to these series of meetings, you need to come. There's this guy who's come into town, and, and no one's ever really heard of him before, but he's a very powerful guy. You need to come listen to him. His name is Billy Graham. And so Louis Zamperini begins to go several nights to these Billy Graham crusades in Los Angeles. And first night he goes, nothing happens. Second night, third night, he shows up and something hits him. And he realizes that God loves him. He realizes that God has a plan for him, that God isn't done with him. And his life is transformed by the grace of Jesus. So he goes home and he throws all of his alcohol away in one shot and throws everything else that was, that was away that was, that was causing him to be, uh, his life to be basically dissipated. And he repairs things with his wife and he begins to help young men. He dedicates his life to helping young men who are struggling in difficult situations all, all over Los Angeles. He becomes a legend. But here's the thing that happens. As he gets older, and I think it was sometime in the 90s, and he just died last year. He's, he's becoming a much older guy. But he has one thing that he needs to do in his life. He needs to find the bird. And so he reaches out and he goes to Japan and tries to find him and tries to reach out to him and send him messages and say, can I just meet with you? I just want to say one thing to you. I have one message for you. That I forgive you. I forgive you. And tragically, no matter how hard he tried to hunt this guy down, he wouldn't return any of his messages. He didn't want to meet with him. He wanted nothing to do with him. And you have to understand, for a lot of these Japanese POW guards, they ended up committing suicide because they got brought up on all kinds of charges for all the atrocities that were committed. And a lot of them just checked out. They, they, were, they were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were afraid. And the most sad thing in the world is here's a guy who was the object of, of, of this man's brutality and wanted to come and extend forgiveness to him. And he wouldn't take it. Now I ask you, what kind of life transformation do you have to have? What has to take place in a person's life to be treated that horribly and have that much time go and say, before I die, I need to go back to the very person who caused me the more, more pain than anyone has ever caused me in my life. And I need to say, listen, please, I know what you did was wrong, but I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to, to, to pay for all of eternity. I want you to know the love of Jesus. What kind of transformation has to take place in a person's life? That's supernatural, guys. We, that we don't do those kinds of things. You see, when you understand grace, you begin to see, you begin to live in a state of gratitude and the things that people have done against you, yeah, they hurt, but they just, they just kind of start to melt away a little bit because you, th their power is broken. And I'm telling you guys, you know, and now that the political season is over, maybe we can just like, you know, maybe it's a little more comfortable to talk about things. But I'll, I'll just be honest with, with some of you guys. You know, politically speaking, I'm, I'm kind of more of a guy that would lean to the right. And uh, I don't talk about that a lot, but just my, my, my understanding of, you know, economics and whatnot, I just kind of feel like the right is kind of where I would align in terms of the role of government and everything else. But I got to tell you, a lot of people, some of the most difficult people to understand the concept of grace are people on the far edges of the right. They just are, because what they'll do is they'll mix, they'll mix politics and their faith, and hey, it's all about God and guns and freedom and everything else, and, and they, don't, they don't understand 
it's rule of law and all these kinds of, and I get, I get it, I get it, but I'm telling you, I've talked to people on my side of the political spectrum, and they are harder sometimes. They get, they get all of the do's and don'ts, they get all of the righteousness, and they don't get grace. It doesn't make sense to them, and it's very hard, because in many ways, it's like the Jewish leaders. They know the law, they know right and wrong, and they're passionate about doing what's right, but they don't have that softness of heart. Now the left has its own issues and we could talk about that all day. I'm not letting them off the hook. But what I'm saying is a lot of times evangelical Christians, especially in this area, tend to lean more towards the right. And I'm telling you, a stumbling block for many people on the right is the, is the lack, is the misunderstanding of grace because you look so much like a Christian because you do things so right and you dot all your I's and cross all your T's and you look so good, but you don't get grace. And if you miss grace, you miss everything. So you try to just keep your life together and do, a, do the dutiful Christian thing. But your heart is hard as this, this wobbly table that I gotta fix. I know it's annoying, and we're, we're gonna fix it. It's a matter of time. So the second aspect of this life that exceeds all expectations is this. It is the only path to Freedom. And I know that's a little bit vague, but let me define what I mean. See, Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, after he's just delivered a series of like one-two punches at how humanity was designed to work, how things really are, and the failure of rules and regulations, and the life he's offering that goes beyond that, again, seen through the eyes of grace, and now what are the implications of that? So that's the Sermon on the Mount, but when he gets to the very end, This is what he says in summary. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What is the rock? It is his teaching. It is his words. It is his understanding, his wisdom, his path. See? But... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this, but in San Francisco, they have a little bit of a problem with a building. They have the largest residential building in all of San Francisco. It was completed in 2008. It's 58 stories. It's called the Millennium Tower. Now, this problem was made known to one resident who, when she was living in a fairly high um, um, unit, had one of those little indoor putters. You know, those little putting things you can do in your little office when you should be working, but you're bored and you want to, right? And so you're working on your little uh, short game there, right? So she's putting inside her unit and she realizes that no matter where she hits the ball, it always seems to roll the same direction. And she says, this isn't right. And so she realizes, as did many other people, and of course many structural engineers, that this building since 2008, according to the engineers, has sunk 16 inches into the ground and has a 2.7 inch lean to the west and a seven inch lean to the north. This is a 58 story building, the tallest residential building in all. It's right and plunk in the middle of downtown San Francisco. One engineer said the only thing that comes close to this is the leaning tower of Pisa, but that is a joke. 
There is nothing like this. This is what he says. There is nothing like this. The, the, the Italian thing, that's a joke. That's like whatever. This is, this is, we don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. One other engineer, and of course the whole thing gets political, but one individual said, the only plausible explanation for the poor performance of the Millennium Tower is a completely inappropriate foundation for such a heavy structure. Why is the building falling over? Because the foundation on which it was laid is inappropriate for the structure that they were trying to build on top of it. And if you want to go deeper and figure out what really happened, here's the thing. These guys that built it, I'm sure they were very, very smart guys. And they knew all the formulas. And they went to engineering school. And they had probably built dozens of these buildings before. So no fault on them. Their intentions were great. They didn't want to build a building that was going to go like that. They had no, they had no intention. But whether they intended to or not, what they actually did was they went against the laws of nature. They violated the laws of physics. Intentional or not, they went against the way the world is ordered. And they thought they made assumptions about the way things were. They were not that way and they built on that and the result is a natural consequence of, of building something that does not make sense. It cannot stand up given the foundation and the weight of the building. It, no matter how much you wish it would work or would want it to work, it just doesn't work. Now, I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and I've counseled all kinds of people, and I've been to counseling myself several times because I'm a little crazy. <laughs> and I probably need to go again at some point. I just, I'm, so just, you're not crazy. Well, if you are crazy, listen, you're in good company, all right? If going to counseling doesn't make you crazy. It just, I mean, it just, I've been. And so I just want you to know, if you don't feel, it's not a stigma, you should go. I've counseled, uh, I've counseled people and I've been counseled. But here's the, the theme that I've, I've seen in my own life and in the life of those whom I work with, whether young or old, uh, rich or poor, um, you know, in, in my work with the military or civilian, it doesn't matter. And the theme is this that the source of the problems that people have do not come from external issues. Now, sometimes they do, but it's rare. The vast majority of times, the problems that are plaguing people, when you get down to the root source of what's going on, the problem can be traced back to a series of life decisions, a series of life decisions that go against the way life was designed to work. They go against the way life was designed to work. And what they've done is, at the beginning, it's not that big of a deal, but you build 58 stories of life on top of that, and all of a sudden it's like, and you're going, this isn't right. Because for all this time, there have been that series of life decisions that go against the way that life is supposed to work. And so when it comes to our sexuality, we make decisions with our sexuality in ways that, 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 that were not, it, it, these things were, the, the things that you do are things in, in such a way that are used that are not the way that life's supposed to work when it comes to sexuality. Same thing with finances, the same thing with, with relationships and on and on and on and on. There's decisions that are made that, that, are, that seem just fine at the time and there's nothing wrong with the intentions. You don't set out to say, I'm gonna be the most evil person on the planet. No, most people don't do that. But you say, I'm gonna go this direction and you make, that, you make that choice and you go, I don't understand. Why is there so much chaos in my life? Why is there so much confusion in my life? Why is there so much pain in my life? Because you, knowingly or not, lived in a way that did not follow the way life was intended to function. 
And so when you, all of a sudden you have Jesus that comes along and says, guys, I know how life was supposed to function. I'm living out what it is, the intention of humanity, the intention of God. From the very beginning, God's intention was that we would worship him and live for him and live a life of wisdom. Let me show you how to do that. Will you believe me? And and as you walk in these areas, will you believe me? And as you do that, as you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to turn chaos into order in your life. This is so important. You see, to truly follow Jesus, when you begin to truly follow Jesus, your decisions begin to bring order out of chaos. Your decisions create life and beauty and meaning and depth, even if you've had a series of horrible things in the past. It begins to rise out of the ashes. And it's because it's the opposite of the fall. Why did the fall happen in the first place? Because of us. Because we went this way when God created us to go that way. And so we brought chaos and pain and our lives be turned into shambles. That happens to everybody. It's universal. But when you follow Jesus, things begin to just work. They just begin. Now you still might have external issues, but all of a sudden things become alive in your life. How? Well, let me go another step deeper here. Because Equally important to this is this. This allows us to say that life is found not just because I'm, I'm, God is happy with me when I do good things. It is in the following of Jesus, not in some elusive result. This is huge, guys. If you get this, this is so important. Life, the life that Jesus is talking about is found in the following, in the obedience It's in the following of Jesus, not in some elusive result that happens as a consequence of following Jesus. Now this is where this subtle deception is. And so like when you watch a lot of preachers on TV, the prosperity guys, what they will say to you is, if you believe and if you do a series of things to show your obedience, like give money and whatever else, if you believe, then God will bless you over here with something else. So follow Jesus so he can give you some external gift that you really go. So like a successful business, or you know, like a lot of um, money, or a great relationship, and or, or health, he'll heal you of your disease. So you believe over here, follow Jesus so that you can get health and wealth and goodness and all this kind of stuff, right? And so that's what, so they always kind of dangle this carrot out there for you. So do the things and someday that life, you will get that life. That will happen to you. And so you go, okay, I'm going to believe now because I think someday I'm going to have this great thing. I know God's going to bless me because to not hope in that is to not believe God, but you get it wrong. The deception is the life is not separate from that. They make a distinction between the blessing and the life and the following. The blessing is not distinct from the following. The blessing comes in the following. So if you don't get what you want, that's okay because your life is actually better in the following of Jesus than if you never followed him at all and you got everything you wanted. And no one bothers to ever tell you that life can be found in the boring and the mundane, in the things that no one ever wants to make a reality TV show about because no one will watch it because it's just you getting up and living a boring life on the freeway with your medium you know, grade car and your medium grade house and your medium grade clothes and your medium grade job. And you think, you know what? I'm just not getting where I know I should be. Forget all that. Life is found in the actual following of Jesus. So when you do what he says, this life explodes with meaning and value and fulfillment and joy that you never could have anywhere else. Are you with me on this? 
This is a huge revelation for a Christian world that thinks if I just follow Jesus, then I will be blessed over here with what I really want. Jesus never said that. He said you, the blessing comes in the following, in the action, in the faith. And so the joy is found in the faithfulness to your spouse. Well, if I'm faithful to my spouse, then God will be happy and say, you're faithful to your spouse, and he'll give me a Benz. Mm. No. If you get a Benz, good for you, that's great, but it's not God going, oh, you're faithful to your spouse, I'm gonna, no. It's, you realize, man, you know what? To be married to this person for this amount of time and to get through the problems and the challenges and to practice the forgiveness and the restoration and the love and the commitment and the affection and the attention, Man, and to do things the way God intended to do, that there's life in that. When I forgive someone who's caused me all kinds of pain, I go, well, you know, if I forgive them, then God will go, good job, you forgave them. Now here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you over here and heal all your diseases. No, 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 no. There's no promise of that. The promise is when you forgive somebody, you go, holy cow, I broke the power of that person on my life. They were like, they didn't even know this, but they had, they were, I was like under their thumb. They were, they, they just, they controlled my thoughts. They controlled my decisions. I did everything through the lens of my hatred of them. And now that I see that Jesus has forgiven me, I'm gonna, I, I call me to forgive others. I'm not gonna believe him, even though I don't really want to do that, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And guess what? I'm free of this person, this horrible, terrible person. They no longer plague me. They no longer rule me. This is great. I don't need all these other things all of a sudden. Speaking of construction, as we were talking about earlier, just building stuff in general, that's something I'm terrible at, just like building stuff. In fact, if I wanted to fail at life, I would become a handyman. Because I mean, I'd have like lawsuits against me. I mean, I would, people would die. I mean, the fires would happen. I mean, I just, I am not a hand, as much as I want to be in my heart, like man, I just, I can't do it. So, um, like, one of the scariest things I could say to my wife is, hey, honey, let's not have someone. I'll, I'll, I'll fix that myself. She's like, oh, dear God, no. No, just go away. Go read something or work on something or whatever, and I will make sure that somebody comes. That's just the way it has to work. Otherwise, it's going to be, you know, I would be the guy that would build the building that would go like that. So, it's just me. So last week, you know, we've lived in our house for about eight and a half years, and, and we've never lived in a house that long, and we're realizing that, you know, after a while, things start to kind of break, right? Because we've always just moved every couple years. And now it's like, man, you know, like I got to replace this and replace that. So um, last week, I had to replace the door handle that goes from the house into the garage, right? You know, that thing. And so it gets getting old, and so I said, well, I'm going to have to fix this. So I go and I get the replacement um, doorknob. And you know how these things are. I mean, they, they give you this package, and it's got like, it's two separate parts, and it's these screws and all these bags of stuff. And of course, on the front, it's like, easy installation, less than 15 minutes, one, two, three. I'm like, yeah, for you. <laughs> you don't know who you're dealing with here, <laughs> right? So, so, uh, so I take this thing home, and I, you know, I get this little chair out, and I start, and I open the door, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get the thing. I don't know how to get it off. I mean, you just like, you break the day. I don't know how to, how to what do you do? Because there's no little, so I had to pull the thing off and I, you know, just, I couldn't figure out how to get, finally I get the door handle off, the old one. 
And, and I pull out the instructions. And in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, all I need to do, I just need to be done with this. I will not be happy because I was totally like, I hate this. I hate the fact that I have to do this. I, I just want to be done and then I can move on. I will not be happy. I will not be fulfilled. I will not have, have experienced any joy until I am done putting this thing on. And I can move on to something else because I don't do these things. So I pull out the instructions and I'm like, all right, here we go. And I start going. And all of a sudden, the most amazing thing happens. I follow the instructions like really carefully. Like I'm reading it, okay? And, I'm, and I put the first piece on and then I put the second piece on. Then you gotta put these little screws that go through, right? And then, you know, and then there's a little cover. And so I get to like, there's only four steps. And I get to step two and I was like, I hadn't, the wheels hadn't come off the bus yet. Like it was working. I go, whoa. Like, and all of a sudden I go, hey, I did it. Like not all the way, but I got this. I've never been this far in anything in my life. <laughs> it worked. And I was amazed. All of a sudden I went, hey, this isn't so bad. I, I kind of like doing this. Like, I want to do this again. Like, I, I want to get, I want to find another door handle to replace because I'm like, I'm good at this, right? But what was I doing? I was using, I was, I was using the parts the way the manufacturer intended them to be used. And I was finding joy in the process that I never expected to find. I just thought it would be, it would suck the whole time until I got to the end. But then in the middle, I'm in the middle, I'm like, I'm having fun because I feel like I'm doing something that works. And I'm like, whoa, you know? And then so I put the screws in and then I, and I put the little cover on so that you can't see the inside parts. And then of course there's the big test, like the little thing you twist to, to lock it. Like, is it actually gonna go like halfway and get stuck? You know what I mean? So I turned it and a couple times kind of loosened it. All of a sudden it worked. And then the other side, it, it, it locked, you know? And I said to my wife, I said, Judy, come here, look at this, look at this, you know? And I'm like, I had the door. I'm like, go open that door right there. Go ahead, go on, do that. Watch, watch what happens. And you know, she opens, she's like, whoa. And I said, yeah. I did that, right? <laughs> now, I don't have to tell you that it was the second time that I'd been to Lowe's. It was, I, the first lock completely didn't work, but <laughs> I got it right the second time because <laughs> I always get it right the second time. But still, for me, but here's my point. I enjoyed the journey. I enjoyed it because I was doing it the way it was supposed to work. And so I got to the end, I'm like, yeah, it's great to be at the end, but I actually thought, hey, this is cool. And, I th and the reason that it's so important is because when you, when you begin to follow Jesus, you realize that it, life doesn't have to always be about, oh, when I get there, then I'll be happy. When I get to this point, then I'll. No, 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 no. The journey becomes amazing, and, and that's where the life is. And so I'm telling you, even if you've got something that's very difficult going on in your life right now, as you follow Jesus, it may be painful. Just like, you know, as I was talking about changing the door, it was painful. It's like, I don't want to do this, but all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, just God tends to be giving me something spiritual that I could not have anticipated. I have a level of fulfillment and joy that I could not get any other way. And life really does become amazing. Now the question for you is, do you believe that? Or are you gonna use God to get somewhere else that you wanna go? So the challenge for you and me today is to ask ourselves, am I really going after the life that Jesus offers and is available? Because it starts with the understanding of grace bathed in grace. Your life is full of grace. You see everything through the eyes of grace. And I gotta tell you something, guys. If, if the people in your life who have hurt you, if you feel no compulsion 
to forgive. If you feel no reason to offer mercy, you don't know Jesus. You don't. You may know the Bible. You may have more verses memorized than I do. But you don't know Jesus. And if you're still holding out for something that you haven't gotten, when I get this, I'll be happy. And you're not really interested in believing the path. See, what Jesus offers is a roadmap, is a pathway, is this secret channel to the way humanity was created to live. But if the words of Jesus are like, nah, when he says don't worry about your life, nah, he didn't know my life. <laughs> he didn't know my life, man. If he knew my life, he'd be like, you need to worry. <laughs> then you don't know Jesus. He's not your Lord. I don't know who he's, he's my, he might be your co-pilot, might be sitting in the passenger seat, but you're driving the car. Let me ask you this question. What one thing is causing chaos in your life right now that you are responsible for? What one thing are you not trusting him for? What one thing is sticking out as elevating itself to becoming the supreme leader of your emotion? What about grace are you not getting? Oh, it's too far. I, I, I couldn't go that far. What about grace are you not getting? I want to close with this verse, the words of Jesus. And again, we got to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Because he says, when he looked at the crowds that he was speaking to, Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, meaning humble. Not like, hey, I think I'm great, but I'm, you can trust me. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus does not want to lead you to live a burdened life. Follow him. Would you bow your heads with me? In this brief time we have here, if you're here today and you say, you know what, that, I need, I, I, you talked about the World War II guy having that transformation when he found Jesus, I need that. You talk about the trusting in God, following the path, I need that. So today I'm, I'm gonna turn my life over to Jesus. If you're here today and you say, I need to turn my life over to the love of Jesus, over to the forgiveness of Jesus. Just tell him right where you are. Today, God, I'm asking you to take my life. I surrender my life to you. Please be the bearer of my sin. I believe in your grace, and I need your grace. And it blows me away how much you love me. And the gratitude that comes out of my heart is an involuntary result of the grace you've shown. God, 
would you teach us to follow you? God, this culture is obsessed with chasing after things that will burn and elevating the self, congratulating the self. When all it's just idols. And God, I'm asking you that you would just, you just take a sledgehammer and shatter our idols, shatter the things that keep us from following you. Shatter our fear. Shatter our gods. Shatter the things that we love in place of you. Free us to follow you so that in the following we may have freedom. Thank you for the brilliance of your word and the depth. There is no one like you. There is no one like Jesus. All religions are not the same. There is no other philosophy or belief that even comes close. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.